Well, thank you, Brother Paul. It's, it's good to be here this morning. I don't, I don't remember the last time I was here. It's been, I guess, probably about a year or so. Um, but I get a call, uh, I guess it was early Wednesday morning, and it's Brother Paul, and he calls me and he says, I hate to ask you this. <laughs> and I'm like, what's coming next? <laughs> uh, and he asked me if I could preach this morning. Um, I know what it's like to have back trouble. I've got back trouble myself. Uh, it's not fun not being able to stand up for a few minutes. Definitely not fun when you're trying to turn side to side and you get shooting pains down your back. So I've been praying for you all week. I know what that's like, but I'm glad to be here this morning. If you will, please turn your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're talking about faith this morning. Uh, this chapter is known as the Great Hall of Faith. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old have received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And it was through faith, though he died, that he still speaks." By faith Enoch was taken up that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise." For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even though she was well past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city." By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the great reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. And by faith those people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell as they had been circled for seven days. By faith, Rahab did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Let us pray this morning. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for all of these examples of people that have gone before us, that you have left for us to read about and know about, Lord, that had great faith. Lord, we pray that we will follow in their footsteps this morning and have faith in you and your word and what your son has done for us, Lord. Be with me as I speak this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said earlier, I'm uh, glad to be here this morning. I am a little tired and a little sore this morning. Uh, I just got back in town late last night from a camping trip down in the Carolinas. Uh, I work with a boys group on Wednesday nights called Christian Service Brigade. Uh, it's kind of like Christian Boy Scouts. And what we were doing this weekend, uh, we were in a place called the Linville Gorge. It's also known as the Grand Canyon of the East. And specifically, we were at a place in the gorge called the Chimneys. And it's known as that because the stacks of rock actually look like chimney stacks up on the ridge. Uh, but from there, we can see a whole panoramic view of the gorge below, the river below. You can see the Smoky Mountains off in the distance, the Blue Ridge Parkway. Uh, it is absolutely stunning. I've been to this particular spot uh, dozens of times. And every time we take the guys there, we do rock climbing and rappelling. And in fact, uh, when I was in middle school, we did this exact same trip that we did this weekend. Uh, it was my first camping trip. It was November 1998, 22 years ago, uh, this week actually. I was this little 12-year-old boy on this camping trip. First camping trip, I didn't know anything about real camping. I was used to RVs and tents, and I didn't know about, you know, roughing it, so to say. Um, it's mid-20s. It's cold. It's real cold. All I have is Nike tennis shoes. My feet are freezing. I did not have a tent. I did not even have a tarp to put over me. I had a Michael Jordan sleeping bag, which was rated to keep you warm as long as it didn't get below 60 degrees. It was a long night. The next morning I get up, I'm freezing, and we're climbing up to the top of this cliff uh, to go rappelling, and there's a problem. I am deathly afraid of heights. Uh, but I'm also not wanting to be called a chicken by my friends, right? So I'm determined to go down this mountain, even though I am terrified to death. I don't want to go down. I don't want to be made fun of for being a wimp. So our leader, he tells us, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to clip you into your harness. You're going to back up to the edge of the cliff. You're going to start letting some rope out. As you let rope out, you're going to lean back, and then you're going to start walking down the side of the mountain. Great, no problem. So I get there, he clips me in. I start letting rope out. I let a little more out, and I let a little more out, and I forget a minor detail. I forget about walking down the mountain. Next thing I know, I am upside down at the top of this 40-foot cliff with my feet tangled up in the rope. I don't know what's going on, and he looks at me and says, Dave, don't look down. Of course, what do I do? I look down. So now I'm even more terrified than I already was. The next thing he says to me is, Dave, 
don't move. Well, I don't know where he thought I was going to go. Um, I was all tangled up. But long story short, they get me down, obviously. I'm here today. Um, But now I, I go to the top of this same mountain and I teach boys how to do rappelling down this mountain without ending up side down on the top of the cliff. But what I love about guiding these boys and doing these outdoor adventures and the stuff that we get to do on Wednesday nights is it gives us great object lessons. And this weekend when we were up on that mountain, we talked about this passage and we talked about faith. We have one guy in our battalion, I won't mention his name because he might listen to this sermon later and he probably wouldn't appreciate it, but he was not looking forward to this trip. I mean, not at all. He was terrified of heights. He does not want to go down this mountain. Three weeks ago, he told us, I'm not going down the mountain. And I told the guys, I said, I guarantee you by the end of the trip, he'll go down the mountain. And he's like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. So I started talking to him one-on-one. And I said, look, here's what we're going to do when we get there. I'm going to take you to the top. I'm going to show you the ropes. I'm going to show you how they're anchored in. I'm going to show you how it clips to your harness. I'm going to show you where my dad will be standing to catch you on the rope if you start to fall. I'm going to show you that it's not as far as you think it is. It's going to be okay. And he still, he, he wasn't, he was like, I, I don't think so. So then I told him something else. I said, look, when I was your age, I did this same repel. And just like you, I was absolutely terrified. But you know what? I did it. And I'm still here today. And since then, I don't just do cliffs that are 40 feet high. I've done cliffs that are as high as 300 feet. And I now teach people how to do this myself. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? You see, church, faith is all about trust. It's all about trust. Do we believe and trust that God will do what he said he's going to do? Or do we have doubts? And I'm not saying it's not okay to have doubts. We're going to have doubts. But at the end of the day, do we believe what God has said? Do we believe that he will provide for us? Do we believe that he will protect us? Do we believe that he does truly work all things for good to those that love him? Do we believe that this morning? You know what the cool thing was? This young man I just told you about, he ended up going down the mountain yesterday. Not once five times. He did it five times. And you know what? At the end of the day, he came up to me and he said, you know what? I'm really glad I went down. And thank you for encouraging me to do it because I would have regretted it if I hadn't. We got to have faith. We got to have trust. We read a lot of stories this morning in this, this Hall of Faith chapter. And these are men and women who face extraordinary circumstances. And they came out on top simply because they put faith and trust in God. But there's one of the individuals that we read about this morning that really stands out, and that's Abraham. Abraham lived his whole life, a life of faith that God would provide, that God would protect, and God would keep his promises. Let's look back in verses 8 and 9. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in that land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. This is referring to a covenant that God made with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to go there this morning so we can get some context here. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who dishonor you, I will put a curse on them. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Because through you, Abraham, the Savior is going to come, Jesus Christ. 
So God tells Abraham, all right, I need you to leave your country. I need you to leave your family, your friends, your home, your fields, everything. Take it and leave this place because, Abraham, I've prepared somewhere special for you. I've prepared a place that you don't know about, a place that's greater than where you are. You need to trust me, Abraham. And we see in the rest of chapter 12 that he actually does trust God. He goes into the land of Canaan with his nephew Lot and their families. Now, imagine this. Imagine today God comes to you, speaks audibly. Uh, that's you know, something we don't really experience today. Speaks audibly and says, I want you to leave Monroe County, Kentucky, and I want you to head south. You're going to go to Mexico. I know, I know Mexico is occupied. I know people live there. But guess what? That country is actually yours. And when you get there, you're going to put up roots. And your family and all of your descendants are going to take over Mexico. It's going to be a land that is great. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be yours. And I'm going to make you greater than anyone on this earth. Would you go? Because that's exactly what Abraham did by faith. And back in Hebrews 11, the author makes mention of Abraham's biggest test. In Hebrews 11, verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So again, this is referring to something that has already happened. Let's look back in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1, says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay, so at this point, I can't imagine what's going through Abraham's mind. He's like, Wait a second. You just told me that this is my son, Isaac, who you are going to make into a great nation. This is the son of your promises. But now you're telling me you want me to take him up to this mountain that I've never been to before, and you want me to sacrifice him. What are you doing, God? You told me one thing, and now you're changing the promise. But that's not what Abraham's response was, was it? No. Let's continue reading in verse 3. It says, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, You stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and Abraham said, Here I am, my son. He said, I, I see the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham is doing exactly what God asked him to do. He's taken his son Isaac to be sacrificed, but Isaac's not a dumb kid. He's smart. He says, Dad, we're missing something here. We're, we're going up to make offering to the Lord, but we don't have anything to offer, what are we going to do without a lamb to sacrifice? And verse 8 goes on and tells us what Abraham's answer was, and it was one of faith. He said, My son, God will provide the offering. At any time during this test, Abraham could have stopped. He could have said, it's not worth it. I love my son too much. God's asking too much. I'm not going to do it. But that's not what he did. 
He believed that God would fulfill his promises. He had amazing faith. Genesis 22, starting in verse 9, says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God. You have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes. He looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went up and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is one of my most favorite stories in all of Scripture, because it shows us that God has a plan for everything, and He doesn't just ask us to do things for no reason. He has a purpose, and we need to put our full faith and trust in that plan, because He knows what He's doing, even if we don't. And Abraham did what God asked him to do without question, without hesitation. And God rewarded that faithfulness, supplying his needs. That's not to say that if we're faithful to God and trust God, we get everything we want, we won't. But we will have everything we could ever need. Everything we could ever need. And of course, Abraham and Isaac also foreshadow something greater. Foreshadow something greater. You see, the land of Moriah is where Jerusalem sits. And centuries later, it would be that same place where Abraham was willing to offer up his only son. And God provided a substitute so that that sacrifice did not have to be made. Centuries later, God would provide his son as the ultimate substitute sacrifice for our sin. So we would not have to be offered up. God and Jesus Christ, they laid it all on the line for us. And we should lay it all on the line for them. You know, after we got done rappelling yesterday on, on the mountain, I took the guys back to the top of the cliff and we looked at this Hebrews passage. We, particularly, we focused on verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for. You know, when those guys, I had them on the top of the cliff, and the way the rocks are settled, when you look down from the top of the cliff, you can't actually see the bottom where you are going. And they had a choice. They could either walk back down the trail we used to get up to the top of the cliff, or they could go down on the rope. And if they went down on the rope, they had to have a lot of faith, and they had to have a lot of trust. They had to hope that as a guide, I knew what I was talking about. If they knew my story about 22 years ago, which they did, they might not wonder, they might wonder if I knew what I was talking about. But they had to... Pray and hope that I knew what I was talking about. They had to hope that I knew the right knots to tie, the right place to anchor the rope. They had to trust that the rope would actually hold them. They had to trust and hope that we would catch them if they fell. And they had to hope that they would get to the bottom in one piece. And the ones that did go down the mountain, they put their faith and believed that what would happen is exactly what they, we told them would happen. And that's the same kind of faith we need to have with God to believe and trust that what He tells us will happen is what will happen. Verse 1 continues to say it's the conviction. Some translations say the evidence of things not, <clears throat> not seen. Like I said, at the top of the mountain, standing on the edge, they can't see the bottom. They can't see the bottom where they're landing. It actually looks like you're going to go down to the bottom of the gorge. It's actually pretty scary. They couldn't see my dad standing down there holding the rope. 
to catch them. They had to have faith that it was there. And I went over all of these facts with the guys after they had finished doing all this. We talked about all these things. And I said, you know what, guys? That's the Christian life. And isn't that true? Isn't that the scenario we are in? We hope and believe that the Bible is true. We hope and believe that God is real because we've never seen Him. But we're convinced He's real. We're convinced He's there. We know He's been there for us. We know He's answered prayer. We know He's worked in our personal lives. We've seen Him all throughout history doing His work. We've witnessed evidence of God in creation and witnessed Him in our lives. But it's still faith because we're still believing in something, in someone we have not physically seen. And we put hope in the fact that what God has said about our salvation is true. It doesn't matter what goes on in this world. There's not much that we actually control. We don't have control over COVID-19. We don't have control over uh, weather. We don't have control over elections. We don't have control over the people around us. But we do have control over what we put our faith in. We have to keep the faith. We have to trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord. Listen to these encouraging words from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, starting in verse uh, 28. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men, they stumble and fall. But those who hope on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run, they will not grow weary. They will walk And they will not be faint. And then in chapter 41, verse 10, it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will be surely ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. Do not fear. I will help you. Church, that is the God we serve this morning. That is the one that we are putting our faith in. That is where our assurance comes from. That is the faith that we have. What a comfort. What a mighty God that we serve this morning. We have to keep the faith, church. We have to trust that what God has said He will do, that the promises He gives to us are true, and that He is true to His Word. We may fail our Word, but God never fails His Word. Let's pray this morning. God, we just love You and thank You for the promises that You have given us, Lord, for what You have done for us, Lord, and that You have offered us salvation in that perfect sacrifice in Your Son. Lord, let us never waver in our faith, even in these trying times, Lord. Let us always look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.